This is Working Tech, where we talk about how tech can work harder so we can work better. Because hardly working isn't an option. Okay, now you have good employee experience. You've got information inside the system. What are you doing with it? How do you present that data? How do you present those insights? And how do you help the company make better decisions with that data? That is sort of the next evolution of where I think the, the market is heading. Working Tech is brought to you by Talent Board, the first nonprofit research organization focused on the elevation and promotion of a quality candidate experience. Talent Board and the Candidate Experience Awards Benchmark Research helps employers around the world improve recruiting, candidate experience, and the business bottom line. Learn more at thetalentboard.org. Hey, everybody. This is Kevin W. Grossman, creator and co-founder of the Working Tech Podcast and one of the co-hosts. Bill and I welcome you to our podcast series where we'll talk about all things tech and the working world around us, including HR, recruiting, and related technologies. Enjoy this conversation that I had with Stacey Harris, Vice President of Research and Analytics at Sierra Cedar, home of the esteemed annual HR system survey and white paper, now in its 20th year. Stacey, thank you so much for being on the Working Tech Podcast. First and foremost, what is Sierra Cedar HR Systems Survey, and when did it begin, and what does it cover each year? Well, thank you. I'm I'm very glad to be here and uh, speaking with your audience. So Sierra Cedar HR Systems Survey, it's an annual HR technology system survey that has, I'll be honest, it's somewhere in the range of 200 questions. So but don't let people get scared away from that. It is it, it is our most extensive research efforts, I think, done in the HR technology space. And it's been done since 1997. It was started by Lexi Martin, for those who might know Lexi Martin. And uh, she started out as research on the services industry, what was happening in particularly in the self-service HR technology space. Uh, and over the years, we've just continued to add questions and answer things that the industry was looking for around HR technology adoption, um, the use of it, implementations, what vendors organizations were using, what processes they were putting in place, what strategies they were putting in place, and um, and what emerging technologies they were implementing. And then we basically deliver every year the um, annual findings in October. And each year then that um, we do it again the next year, we usually launch our survey in May of, of every year. We are doing it in April this year because the HR Tech Conference that we launch it at in October, uh, the findings is a month early in September this year. Right, so that's that's a, right. just an overview summary. Yeah. Well, it's it's a very, very comprehensive HR technology uh, research report, and I highly recommend it. And, and by the end of the podcast, we're going to talk to everybody about how they can get it and where do they go to get it. Um, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into it in this podcast. But before we do that, and by the way, I thought I thought 80 questions that we ask of employers at Talent Board for the candies was a lot. So that's great, though. I mean, the 200 questions. I just made you feel better. Right? Uh, you did. You're, you made me feel really good. So but before we dive deeper into the this year's research report on your end, I just want to ask kind of a couple uh, big picture questions, first and foremost, because like me, you've been in the HR and recruiting technology space for a few years now. And we'll just leave it at that, right? Um, So tell me from your experience, Stacey, when it comes to the greater HR technology space, what big picture, what's changed and what remains the same from your experience? Uh, You know, I think the biggest 
thing that has changed since I've been in the HR technology industry is the shift from HR tech being a tool for gathering data just for management to HR technology being a tool that is focused on the the services it provides, the people that it supports. So what I mean is that it's, it's a you know, we, we call it consumerized, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, what I've seen over the last 10 or 15 years is that these tools now make a difference in people's lives. They have an impact on, you know, how they make decisions about their work and the, the things they want to do from a hiring uh, perspective and the things they want to do from a, a, a job seeking perspective. And so I think the biggest difference now is that it's no longer just a management tool. It's a, it's a workforce tool. It's everybody's tool. When did you see that tipping point? Meaning it was there, I mean, it wasn't any, like, I know it's not a point in time and a specific date when everything changed, but when, when in the past 10 to 15 years, when did you see that start to transform from management to the, basically to the employee experience? You know, probably for me, and, and I think, you know, it depended, you know, depending on who you speak with, I mean, there were people who would say that it, it happened the minute we started to do employee self-service, but I think employee self-service was still about, just getting more data into the system, right? So managers could use their their the data to make better decisions. And I think a lot of that still happens, at least at the company level. That's how they're thinking about it, right? But for me, what I really saw is that when talent management technologies first hit the scene, and like really around 2006, um, I joined Burson Associates in 2007, and I can remember I was involved in my very last company I worked in and implementing a learning management system, and. I was looking for an LMS and there was this weird company called Cornerstone. They had just changed their name from CyberU back then. And they were offering this thing that included performance management and learning together. What was that, right? Um, And so, you know, we had purchased them at the company that I was at. And then um, I moved into consulting at Burson and Associates the following year. And I realized, oh, wow, there's this, this movement happening that's called talent management. And part of that movement, I think, was, again, they didn't do it because they were altruistic. You know, the, the idea was to get more data to make better business decisions still. But what they found is that to get more data, they had to give something back to the employees. They had to make a value proposition for them in completing the information and filling out the, the forms and, and basically interacting with the system. And so the shift turned to employee experience to, to what is the employee getting out of it, I think. Um, and so that to me is, the, is was the tipping point in the whole sort of changeover. So a lot of solution providers, that's one of the audiences that listen to this particular podcast and those involved in the HR recruiting and technology space and beyond technology professionals. It's quite a broad audience for this, but a lot of solution providers listen to it. So just kind of off the top of your head and in your experience, what are some of the key competitive differentiators in HR technology today? And where do you see them in the next five to 10 years? This is just a small question, right? There you go. Yeah, that's a big uh, differentiators, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'll take this cue a little bit from the research that we do at CR Cedar, right? We have watched over the last 20 years, HR technology shift from an administrative application to a sort of performance-focused application to now an employee-focused application, right? So my take on sort of what the big differentiators now is that 
know, employee experience is sort of table stakes. You can't really say that just having a good employee experience is, is as far as your system can go at this point. The, the next level, the next big differentiator is, okay, now you have good employee experience. You've got information inside the system. What are you doing with it? How do you present that data? How do you present those insights? And how do you help the company make better decisions with that data? That is sort of the next evolution of where I think the, the market is heading. And I think some organizations are doing that better than others right now. I think some organizations are experimenting in ways that are going to be what we call, I uh, feel like it's a little bit like creepy HR, right? Because you're sort of <laughs> comparing data. Well, you know, when you compare how often someone goes to the bathroom with, you know, how many times yeah, they're, you know, right. off in a, in, a, in a time and, or you're comparing, you know, data like, you know, the, the amount of um, performance review you know, marks that someone gets along with how many courses they took. It feels a little bit like, are, are you, are you, you know, sort of looking over my shoulder, right? And so I think we're going to have a lot of missteps in it, but I do think that those organizations who are thinking about data from the perspective of providing better insights, not just to the employers, but to the employees as well, are, are going to have the biggest differentiator. And that's where we're probably going to see a lot more expansion in the predictive analytics and predictive qualities of systems, yeah. right? In regards to that kind of data and be, being able to crunch a, a whole bunch of data and be able to say, these individuals are going to perform better here in, in this environment. And, and if they only go to the bathroom three times a day, I am kind of being facetious, <laughs> but I mean, I'm just following. I your, know, but yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, and, and there are already organizations doing some level of that, right? Which, 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 like I said, there'll be, there'll be a lot of sort of really bad things that happen because of it, but there will be a lot of really good things that happen because of it too. You know, um, I've already heard some interesting stories about, you know, employees who realize that, hey, you know, actually, you know, um, doing work this way causes me more stress and trouble as well as the company, right? And so you, you start to hear stories like that that are interesting. What what I do think, though, is that this idea of, you know, what's, you know, in the next five to 10 years is, that, you know, we're like, oh, it's gonna be all artificial intelligence and all predictive analytics. And I think that's a part of it. And I think that we have a long way to go before the, the technology is smart enough to actually tell us something we don't already know probably intuitively, but right. we just don't have data to back it up, right? right. But on the other hand, I do think that there is a lot of room to automate things. Um, and this is where you're going to hear the word RPA, robotic process automation, right? Mm -hmm. That we have just ignored the need to automate for a long time, right? You know, a lot of the things that, you know, when you go to make a travel arrangement, you know, you just assume that, yeah, I'll do it in one system, but I still have to pull it out and figure out how to get it on my calendar and, and figure out how to, you know, call my Uber and figure out how to set up the, you know, my packing and my dry cleaning in time. You know, a lot of that kind of robotic process automation that feels right now that it's just sort of the details that we don't get into. I think that's going to be the next level. Agreed on that. Let's dig in a little bit deeper on, on in your survey research too, that you're, according to your report, your data shows that there's a 40% increase in plans for organizations moving non-HR technology to cloud environments. Can expand on that for us. So, so HR technology has had a really good run for a long time as far as, you know, we, we were one of the first to move to the cloud with a consumer-driven focus. And mm -hmm. I say that very, very specifically because Salesforce, and Salesforce.com was definitely sort of the first big cloud system, I think, at an enterprise level that went across the market, right? But Salesforce.com was still a sales tool for salespeople, right? That didn't have a consumer component to it that really required it to be 
very user friendly and experience friendly and focused on the end user, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and HR technologies is one of the first enterprise systems that have had to deal with cloud and consumer requirements at the same level. And so we've seen, I think, a really interesting uh, transformation in the HR technology market. What that means is that organizations have not only adopted HR technology at a, at a pretty rapid pace, although a lot of people would say they don't feel like it's gone as fast as they'd like it to, but it really has been quite rapid. You know, in the last 10 years, we have, well, actually, it really happened in about five years where we went from basically only about 5 to 6% of organizations having any kind of a cloud core HRMS to now 50% of organizations right. having a cloud-based core HRMS. And that, that's a pretty big shift if you think about the fact that there's you know, 44,000 organizations who are over 200 employees in the world right now. That's, that's sort of an estimate. But generally, if you're looking at all the labor bureau statistics data, that's kind of the number that you get. And those organizations are the ones that are trying to figure out sort of how they work with HR technology. Since we've moved so much to the cloud and the HR system side, every other area of enterprise systems are also starting to have the same conversation. Finance probably being the most likely to do that uh, next. It's going to be very hard for them. They're going to have to go through the same transition that we're going to go through. We're seeing about 25% of the market already in some level in a cloud-based finance and supply chain type of uh, system currently. But our data, both in the HR system survey and a finance system survey that we do, are showing that you know, there's probably about 25 to 30% of the market that is looking at replacing their finance system, particularly mid-market right now, um, with a new cloud-based system. That's fascinating. So again, so HR technology, HR systems have kind of helped is kind of help usher finance into the, the cloud-based software. Then is that's what you're saying? That's I, I think it's made it safer, more comfortable for organizations to feel like, oh well, if HR can do this, you know, we 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 can see that this can move in that direction. I think what's going to be interesting is that I think finance and everybody else is going to run into the same sort of issues that we ran into in HR. So remember when we first started moving to cloud, many of us were like, oh, we're just going to take the same systems we have in on-premise and we're just going to turn them into cloud technologies. And we realized that when you made it more consumer driven, you just, it was a whole different application to some extent, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Finance hasn't, I think, hit that realization that when they go to the cloud, that means their application will be more available, more accessible to their vendors, to the employees, to managers, to business data um, uh, partners, right? And so they're going to go through a similar transition, I think, that HR did, that they're going to they're going to have to come to a realization that they have to figure out how to open up their environments to make them more user friendly. And that's going to be very scary for very conservative organizations, just like it was on the HR side. Exactly, exactly. So in your research, this this last report, there's about over 1300 unique organizations that participated that represent nearly 18 million employees and contingent workers. That's just a huge, huge data set in regards to the number of employers participating. In your research, it shows that about 70% of the organizations with the highest HR talent and business outcomes have a risk and security strategy that includes HR systems. That's great. But what about the 30% that don't? Is there, is, what's the, is there a disconnect between security, IT, <laughs> HR systems? I mean, what, what's going on there? Yeah, I'll have to say, I, you know, it's one of those things that I'm actually wondering the same thing. I'm like, what do you mean HR technology is not included in your HR strategy, <laughs> exactly. right? But, you know, I, so part of it, I think, is what's happening is that, you know, recruiting is on, particularly recruiting, right? But HR technology general is on the front lines. You know, we're reaching people who aren't always directly connected with the company immediately. So we're reaching people who are candidates. We're reaching people who are 
contingent workforces where we we're reaching people who are possible candidates down the road, right? The talent mm-hmm. pools. And so I think organizations have sort of said, okay, you know, I'm not even sure where to start in some case with HR being part of our risk and security and audit process, because it feels like it's almost un, you know, there's just so much more that I have to deal with. So I'm just going to let the vendors deal with that, that they're working with, but they're finding that that's causing them some challenges, right? Because the vendors can only do so much. You have to have internal processes and tools that check this as well. Right. And so what we're, what we're finding is that when you talk to a lot of organizations who think about HR as a, as a total, you know, environment, right? Those organizations realize that for HR, it's not just that I have a software that checks everything and that I have passwords for everything because you just can't have passwords for every candidate, right? What they're doing is that they're creating redundant processes and backups and firewalls in certain places. So things are double checked is is basically a way to say it through a process uh, standard versus just a technology standard. In regards to the top HR technology initiatives that you're seeing through your research at organizations today. Give give us a couple of examples of, of two of the top ones and what tends to be more elusive for organizations today. Well, I think, you know, our, we always ask our organizations, where are you spending, you know, 25% or more of your resources or your time from a HR technology budget, all right? And without a doubt, the business process improvement continues and will and has been for the last 10 years, the number one area that organizations are spending time and resources, which means that people feel that no matter how good your technology is, if the processes aren't working, right, it's not working. Right. <laughs> um, I, also, I also think that as we've moved to the cloud, organizations have had to rethink their approach to processes, right? Where it used to be every process had to be different. Now you have to have it fit inside of these new cloud technologies that aren't as flexible as they used to be. You know, you can't just program a change in them. Um, And so I think that's impacting this idea of process improvement. The next biggest thing that organizations say they're spending time and resources and money on is an HR system strategy. And that may seem a little bit like, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, okay, once you do a strategy, how often do you need to invest time in it? But what we find is that, that those organizations who have an enterprise HR system strategy they evaluate on a annual basis. Not, you know, they go back to double check in, make sure they're on track, make updates and changes to it, not the kind that they create when they go to do a new core HRMS and then never visit again for six years, right? Those organizations have consistently had better business outcomes, are seen as better partners in their organizations, have better financial outcomes, and definitely have sort of higher levels of long-term, I'd say, um, you know, talent trends within their organization. So they're, they're more likely to have better talent outcomes and more likely to have better talent practices. Now, part of that is, is that I think those are organizations that, you know, have figured out that HR is important enough to have a strategy. So that, that you know, so which came first, the chicken or the egg. But we also know that they are also organizations that have realized that the integration of all their data is important in most cases too. And so a lot of organizations now, along with the HR system strategy, are doing an integration strategy too. And that's the next probably big thing people are focusing on. Because it always feels like, not being as immersed as you are um, on the broader HR technology side, but just knowing in the the years that I've been in in HR and recruiting technology space that we've been talking about HR system strategy like for a long time. It, it just feels that way, right? And I know that's the case, but I know this also cascades across organizations, and there are going to be those that are are making those moves first, and then other organizations will say, I, "We've got to start." 
doing this. And I think another part of that equation is sustaining that change, right? Yeah. Because there's leadership changes, there's economic pressure, there's um, a political situations that impact business. Um, I mean, there's the policy changes, the list goes on. So I think that's part of that equation, right? Is, is just being able to sustain that, that system strategy. Yeah, the, the continuous of it, the, the, the going back to it on an annual basis, I think when I talk to organizations that say, yeah, we look at ours every year, we change it. It, it, it alters with our business strategy changing and our HR strategy changing. Those are the organizations, I think, that truly understand that HR systems, like any enterprise system, is a living, breathing thing that's there to support your organization. But if you don't have a direction for it, if you're just sort of basically addressing needs as they come up, your, your you know, ad hoc system environment basically grows to not address long-term needs. It's just basically meeting short-term needs. And what we find is that a lot of organizations, you know, and you'll talk to people, they're like, yeah, this beast of an environment, right? You know, right. It, it, it has connections all over the place and data call, you know, an employee full-time employee and this system is not the same as a full-time employee in that system. They just can't get their arms around it. And many of the big HR transformations are, are about consolidating and getting to at least an understanding of what your current environment looks like and where you want to be in three years. So, Absolutely. I wanted to touch briefly on, because there's an, uh, another aspect of your research that you started to develop more this year and, and, and really talking more about how the role that company culture plays as well as social responsibility and business outcomes. And how that, how the connecting those dots to the HR technology ecosystem and strategy. So, how are you measuring that? I mean, what, how, how are you getting that out of your research today? Yeah, so this was an interesting one. So, Aaron Spencer, who is my counterpart and does a lot of the heavy lifting and the analytics, is very, very, you know, interested in the idea of social responsibility. And um, she's a millennial who has done a lot of research in change management and cultures of organizations. And so, we thought, well, well, how do we get at this without sort of telling people that this is what we're doing, right? And so we thought we'd, we'd, in the emerging technology section, we would ask a series of questions about just the approach the organizations are taking to 20 different areas in their organizations that include things like their family leave programs, their diversity and inclusion approach, their uh, wellness programs, their um, contingent workforce, you know, engagement compensation equity, areas that, from our perspective, if you just sort of had to look at them all, you would say fall underneath what this this new category of social responsibility is. And we asked organizations how effective their organization was at addressing these on sort of a scale of one to five. And then we sort of compared that to the processes that they had in place in the organization. And those two comparisons, we created a sort of a top 10% group of organizations that were validated, and they became our top social responsibility group. Mm. And it was really fascinating. We were absolutely blown away by the fact that these organizations had the highest business outcomes. So the way we ask business outcomes is we ask organizations, you know, over the last 12 months, and it's in a completely different section. So like none of this stuff is connected. And 200 questions, people don't remember all the questions they ask. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we ask organizations in the last 12 months, you know, which of these business outcomes, things like competitive advantage and ability to, to have innovation, um, uh, profitability within your organization, which of these things have gone up or down in the last 12 months? And those organizations who were in that top 10% of social responsibility had the highest business rating outcomes of any other organizations that we were assessing that over our data driven, over our talent driven, they didn't have, 
you know, not at, you know, they weren't the most profitable by any means you sure. know, financially outcome wise, but I think it's the longevity, the things and business outcomes that, um, create an environment for a, a, an organization that's sustainable that they seem to have the, the, the strongest um, outcomes in. Fascinating. That's awesome. So listen, Stacy. besides the fact that you and your team have been working really hard on this research, I always like to ask all my guests, um, what's something that you're doing when you're hardly working, i.e. outside of work? What does Stacy like to do? <laughs> My kids would say that I never take time off because in their perspective, I'm always working because every time I talk to them, I'm talking about HR and their jobs and where they should be in the future. Right. Um, but, you know, when, when I have my time off, um, I actually spend a lot of it with my, my children. Um, I have an 18-year-old son and a 22-year-old son, um, and although they may not always appreciate it, we spend a lot of time uh, going to the movies as well as, and don't laugh at me, but I have recently become a very good D and D player because my two boys are doing it and it's the only thing that we can. And I love, you know, fiction and, and making it. Oh, stories. sure. And so it, it's sort of become this family tradition. We do it every holiday season. And every time we all get together at the same place, we have a game that's been going on for about a year and a half. And I actually really kind of love it. I, I think I would have been a great nerd girl back in the day. Uh, I didn't even realize it. So, so that's been my new, my new thing I'm doing. I am <laughs> never going to make fun of you because of that. Cause I, I don't, I don't play now, but I used to, I, I, I did play for a few years, um, late teens, uh, early uh, yep. college and loved it. So, um, it's having a comeback. It's, well, it's, I mean, it's, and I'm, it's this big thing. And I used to be back, back in the day, big fantasy fan, reading fan, Tolkien and and yeah. many other fantasy series. And, and uh, uh, one of my favorites, Stephen R. Donaldson's the Thomas Covenant, the Unbeliever series, which uh, one of my favorites. But anyway, um, so that good for you. That's awesome. So what are what yeah. what's your character? <laughs> what what are you? Who are you? What are you? I am a, I, I'm a mage. I, I, the kids don't let me nice. get too deep into it. I, I, it's like, I think there's something like an arc mage or something like that. But, you know, I, I get to throw fireballs and I get to create big storms and everything. So I, awesome. I have fun with it. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Stacey. Listen, lastly, how, how do we learn more about the Sierra Cedar HR Systems research and your work and where can we get it? So if you're interested, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me at Stacey, S-T-A-C-E-Y dot Harris. And we have a lot of blogs and insight and information there. If you want to get the full research report, just go to SierraCedar.com. Um, and when you go to SierraCedar.com, at the very top of the page is a little little button that says HR Systems Survey. Just look for that, click on it, and there you will have access to signing up for next year's survey, downloading all the past papers. Uh, we have a mid-market healthcare paper we did this year as well. Um, and you can have access to all of the other blogs and press outlets that we have had uh, over the last year and a half. So thank you for having us on the show. It's been fun, Kevin. I always Absolutely. love talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Stacey. Thanks for being on Working Tech again. I look forward to seeing you again in person soon. We'll be back with more Working Tech soon. Until then, be good and work better. Brought to you by ReachWest Media and the HR Gazette. Working Tech is sponsored by Asceni Marketing. 
Icini helps vendors in the HR, talent, and tech arena share better content and reach bigger business markets. Learn more at acenimarketing.com.